I uh, got a really cool show lined up for you guys today, and this is a topic I think is pretty amazing. Is it paranormal? Well, I think it is personally. I think there's more to this than just uh, just what it appears on the surface. I think it's it's incredibly profound and absolutely amazing. everybody welcome to the paranormal portal podcast i'm your host brent thomas thank you so much for joining us as always we appreciate all of you out there and thank you so much for your wonderful support remember if you've got an experience and you'd like to be a guest on the show please reach out to me you can reach me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com Today I want to talk about the weird situations where animals, and I'm talking like wild animals and uh, animals that you wouldn't expect, that somehow come out of nowhere and end up saving people's lives. And to me, that's a fascinating topic of what might be divine intervention. It might be uh, somehow dis- displaying an intelligence in in our animal uh neighbors that we don't often attribute to them, an awareness that we don't often give them credit for. And uh, these are situations where people were saved by animals. So let's dive in and take a look. Oftentimes we consider animals to be these, I don't know, almost functional utilitarian creatures that live in our world. Um, If you're a pet owner and pet lover, you certainly know that there is uh, quite a deep level of compassion in, in animals that, you know, of course your dog loves you and will follow you wherever and and your cat will want to be close to you and snuggling you and, and uh, purrs its enjoyment at your, at your petting and such. And we, we certainly can see that there is an emotional component to animals but oftentimes we, we give that more of a, I don't know, just a, a real shallow depth. In, in other words, that we know they can be happy, they can be sad, they can be upset, or they can be excited. Um, that they seem to have quite a range of emotions, but that's about the, the length that we give it. And of course, a dog can be trained to defend a person and uh, a cat can be you know trained to use a litter pan almost you know blindingly easily uh, so there there is an intelligence there as well but you know we don't often attribute that human level of emotion to these animals like would they intercede and would they extend themselves in such a way as to be there for people and there are certainly a lot of examples of them doing just that, of them working uh, towards helping people by any number of measures. Um, not, it's not exclusively so. It seems to be very odd cases where these things happen, but they do happen. So the question that I have is, is that are there simply special animals out there? There may be these, these animals that are a step forward in cognitive processing and ability, and they have that understanding of the situation and want to interject themselves or intercede to help and possibly save a life. Or, or is, it, is it that all of animals actually have this depth and the, this, these, 
these characters about them that we haven't given them credit for. Are animals actually much more aware and uh, quote-unquote alive than a lot of people give them credit for? And I suppose the answer is yes. Uh, I think we've all heard stories um, that would suggest that an animal definitely has, at least there are animals that definitely have uh, a, a great and clear awareness of their situation. Um, I've heard a story of uh, a cow in, in a slaughterhouse in China that refused to budge. It refused to go with the other cows into the slaughterhouse. It just stayed out there and wouldn't budge, and they had to try to encourage it, encourage it. And apparently the cow was crying. It had tears rolling down its face as it was apparently contemplating its ultimate demise. Well, the the beauty of that story is that the, the workers that were there, that were present, took compassion on this animal, paid the money to buy it from the company and uh, provided it with a pasture where it could live out its life. Um, the question is, what was so different about that animal than the other hundreds or thousands of animals that had gone into this place uh, un unimpeded, that just walked as they were told to walk, that went as they went? Is that something unique to that animal? Was there something very, very unique developmentally in that animal that it had that uh, expanded awareness of its situation? Or is that uh, a depth that all animals have, but the rest of them, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just aren't paying attention or something. And I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of this, but these are enigmas. These are the questions about understanding the world around us, and that's my quest with the paranormal. Now, in, in essence, this one cow was paranormal because normally the cows are are fed through a series of gates and such into a process and and don't really uh, have an awareness of it. But then this one cow in this one example exhibited an awareness and, and reacted in a profoundly human way and what we'd understand to be human level emotion. It's like, I'm not going in there. No way. No way. I'm not going to do it. No, I don't want it. I don't want this. And to the point of, of tears. Now it's anybody's guess. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there going, no, no, no. The cow was just blah, 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 whatever. And they want to, they want to take that away. But I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can separate that possibility that there are animals that at least have that awareness. I don't know that it's that it's a universal trait. I think that perhaps there are some that develop a profound awareness for their situation and, and the situation around them. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's no doubt that animals can observe just as well as we can observe, but can they comprehend? Can they process? Can they uh, make decisions on a, on a very... Um, comprehensive level emotionally uh, to react to those situations. So some of the situations are, are that we're going to cover are, are animals that are exposed to people regularly, and some of them are not. And uh, so it kind of removes the idea that, well, just by familiarity with people, they've developed a compassion towards people as well. Um, in some of these cases, we don't know uh, if there's much, if any, contact with these animals and people, and yet they, they act in incredibly heroic ways. So let's take a look at some of these. The first one uh, on our list comes from the dailymail.co.uk. It's an article that is the amazing moment Mila the beluga whale saved a stricken diver's life by pushing her to the surface. 
And, uh, you know, in this case, just on the surface of it, yeah, this is a, this is a whale that probably worked with these divers every day and probably has a, a feeling or a sentiment of family, you know, to, a, to an extent with these people. And uh, so this maybe makes sense, but maybe not. In any case, it's fascinating that, that this happened. So it looks like a moment of terror. A diver finds her leg cramped in the jaws of a beluga whale. In fact, it was a stunning example of an animal coming to the rescue of a human life. Yang Yun, 26, was taking part in a free diving contest without breathing equipment among the whales in a tank of water more than 20 feet deep and chilled to Arctic temperatures. She says that when she tried to return to the surface, she found her legs crippled by a cramp from the freezing cold. At that point, Mila the beluga took a hand, or rather, a flipper. <laughs> yeah, love the love the references here. Uh, so it says, "We suddenly saw the girl being pushed to the top of the pool with her leg in Mila's mouth," said an official at Polarland in Harbin, northeast China. She's a sensitive animal who works closely with humans, and I think this girl owes Mila her life, or Mila. I'm not sure exactly what pronunciation they would use, but anyway. Thankfully, belugas, which live in the Arctic and subarctic, feed on small fish and squid, have only small teeth, and Yang Yun was uninjured. At depths of 20 feet below, the pressure, the water pressure keeps the body down, particularly if, as in this case, the limbs are effectively paralyzed by the cold. Reliving the drama, Yang Yun said, I, I began to choke and sank even lower, and I thought that was it for me. I was dead. Until I felt this incredible force under me driving me to the surface. That's amazing. So in this case, uh, this, this whale, this, which has participated with divers regularly, saw someone apparently struggling, was able to realize that that person was struggling, and, and it's hard to know how. Was it just observationally the whale could see that person's not behaving normally. There must be something wrong. Is it perhaps a, a psychic transference where the whale could sense the panic from this person? Or was there some other biochemical thing going on where whales can tell when people are in trouble? I don't know. But in any case, it, it made a very distinct and specific choice to intercede and to grab this person and bring them to the surface. And I think that that just displays such intelligence and such a profound awareness. And, and I, I find these stories absolutely beautiful. And I think that's the case for this, that this whale had developed that familiarity. And, and maybe maybe just by the exposure uh, through time, you know, because I think about if this person was free diving in the middle of the ocean and struggled, would that if that whale was there, would it have acted the same way? Or was it just by virtue of this animal being in constant contact with people and divers that it felt a, a, a connection to them and wanted to help and, and to make, you know, make sure this person was okay? Um, would a wild animal have per, per behaved the same way? Well, we have some examples of just that. So let's continue. The next story really blows me away, and I mean sincerely, because this is definitely not the behavior you would expect from animals such as this. And uh, the story itself comes from the BBC uh, news.com, or .co.uk, rather, news.bbc.co.uk, and it's, coming, uh, it's a story coming out of Africa, and I'm just trying to look at a date here. Looks like it was from, actually from 2005, 
So it's quite an old story, but still, it's it's fascinating and incredibly profound. But uh, it came from June twenty second, two thousand and five, uh, and it says, "Kidnapped girl rescued by lions." A pride of lions has rescued a girl from her kidnappers in rural southwest Ethiopia, according to police. A 12-year-old girl was snatched by four men on her way home from school early in June. A week later, kidnappers were moving her with, uh, moving her with police in pursuit when three lions encountered the group and chased the men off, local police said. The lions stayed with the girl without harming her before departing, as police searching for her came near. Sergeant Wandmu Widaj told the media that uh, from Bita Ganet, some 560 kilometers uh, southwest of the capital uh, of Addis Ababa, that they found the girl alive, but shocked and terrified. And it says, they stood guard until we found her, and then they just left her like a gift and went back into the forest, the police said. However, some lion experts have expressed doubts about the credibility of the story. They were probably preparing to eat her, but were uh, intercepted by the police and the others. Game hunter Colonel Lemma Legese, L-E-G-E-S-S-E, told the AFP news agency. He said lion attacks on human and farm animals have become increasingly frequent in the region. The girl told police that she had been beaten by her kidnappers, but that no harm was done to her by the lions. An Ethiopian wildlife expert said the lions may have spared the girl because her crying may have sounded like the mewing sound from a lion cub. Everyone thinks this is some kind of miracle because normally the lions would attack people, Sergeant Wandimu added. Four men have been caught by police, and the United Nations says abductions which lead to marriage, are rife in rural areas where the majority of Ethiopians live. I, I find it an, an amazing story because here's the thing. If these lions were hungry, they, they would have eaten this, this person. Yeah, maybe her crying sounded... It, it, the part that fascinates me and, and even kind of, I don't know, I find, I find objective is that there's the official stories are rife with, no, 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 this was nothing, this was nothing. Instead of oh my God, this was amazing. This is absolutely amazing. So the lions somehow, for some reason, saw this situation going on. And, and I don't know uh, much about lions. I can't claim to be a lion expert, but you would think that if this, if this was a, a party of lions and uh, they, they got involved at all, it would be because they wanted food. However, it, it didn't, they didn't kill the kidnappers, they just separated the girl from the kidnappers just by, you know, I suppose by uh, intimidation more than anything and probably terror, but on account of the kidnappers, because here was a, a pack of lions that was uh, uh, moving in on them. And so they're like, screw the kid, let's get out of here. Probably thinking the kid would become lion food and really not caring too much about it, which is, you know, tragic in and of itself. But they didn't then eat the people that had kidnapped her. They didn't eat the girl. They stayed with her. And now they stayed with her if this was their food. So the police come, move in, and once they saw that the police were there, they just left, just wandered off. Now, this is not the not the behavior you'd expect from a, a prey animal guarding its prey or protecting its prey or, you know, maintaining its food, you would think it would, they would have grabbed the girl if their intent was to eat it. 
dragged her off at rapid pace because a lion is huge. It could carry a small girl with absolutely no effort at all. These animals drag wildebeest around, which are huge, you know, <laughs> huge, uh, uh, many hundred or thousand pound animals. So I'm sure they wouldn't have a lot of trouble with a 12 year old girl. Um, so I, I, I think it's incredibly profound that this happened and incredibly miraculous. I don't know if it's the, the, uh, Daniel and the lion den kind of thing, but it kind of is. It's, it seems like a divine intervention of sorts. So is that what happened? Or are, were these lions aware of the, of the situation? And it kind of, it kind of seems improbable or implausible that they would be like, oh, yeah, look at that. They're kidnapping that kid. Let's go get it. Um, you, you wouldn't expect that kind of thought process going on here. But I, I think it was in this case, I think it's one of those guided things like a, a, divine, a divine intervention, if you will, utilizing the lions to help uh, and being possibly controlled by some you know, greater power of good. At least I hope that that's the situation. Um, but in any case, I, I don't think it's a small, well, you know, it just sounded like a mewing cub and they were probably going to eat her eventually kind of thing. Uh, it just doesn't stand to reason because if this is indeed a, a prey, if the child was considered prey by the lions, they could have killed it and just waited to eat it later. There's no reason to leave it alive sitting there. And it's not as if they would have had to expend any real energy in dispatching a 12-year-old child. I'm sure, you know, one bite would have done it. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy the, I don't buy the logic on this at all. Um, I think that what what happened here was incredibly profound, and incredibly amazing, and would definitely be a miracle in my eyes. I don't know, uh, but again, it's kind of frustrating that the narrative of the story was no, no, this is nothing. It was just a weird deal, but they're going to eat the kid. Like they wanted to dismiss that or take that away from the scenario. And I think that that's the, the incredible beauty of it. But, you know, I, I do understand that I have a paranormal show, so maybe that, that stands to reason. But I, I do think these things happen. I do think that there is divine intervention in the world, and I think this is a great example of it. I, in this case, I don't think it was the lions going, hey, this is wrong, let's, let's correct it. I don't know. To me, I, and if it is, then, you know, I could be wrong, of course. But I think that this is, this is just a, an incredible case of divine intervention, but uh, incredibly cool. Uh, just an amazing story. It's apparently from September 29th, 2011. And a uh, shark attack. British victim was saved by a seal. next story we're going to cover on the show is coming from a site called psychalive.org. And this is a, an incredible story that was written by the actual person involved. And uh, we're going to share it here. And the story is Sea Lion Savior. And the author is Kevin Hines. And he is the person involved in the story. He survived uh, a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge and was rescued by a sea lion. So this is an incredible story, and let's dive into this. It says, Lately, there seems to be quite a bit of debate as to whether or not a sea lion saved my life after I jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge in an attempt to end my life. To be clear, there are a large number of reports and spectators who have claimed it was really a seal. 
and even those who have claimed that there was nothing but me in that water and that I was somehow able to save myself. However, I know that it was a sea lion and it, was, it is not a statistic anomaly. Marine animals, dolphins, sea lions, and other creatures have helped save humans and other animals from dangerous situations all over the world. And that's fascinating. I think that's, that's really cool. Here are the facts. On September 25th, 2000, due to bipolar disorder and serious psychosis, I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I was 19 years old, and after leaving the bridge, my first thought was that I had made a terrible mistake. Miraculously, I survived, and despite my severe injuries, I was able to reach the surface of the water, and upon my resurfacing, I bobbed up and down in the frigid water surrounding me, and then something brushed by my legs. Oh, I feared it was a shark coming to, come to devour me whole. I tried punching it, thinking it might bite me. However, this marine animal, whatever it was, just circled beneath me, bumping me up. Yeah, it may be hard for the average skeptic to believe, but don't take my word for it. Call the old producers and staff of ABC's Prime Time with John Quinones, and you see, I did not know the creature was a sea lion, not a shark, until I was featured on that show due to my work with suicide prevention and mental health. Many viewers' emails flooded into ABC, and one of them was from a man named Morgan, and he wrote, Kevin, I'm so glad you are alive as I was standing less than two feet away from you when you jumped. And by the way, it was not a shark like you mentioned on the TV show. It was a sea lion, and I have the pictures. I immediately took down his email address and phone number. I called Morgan, and I asked if he would email me the pictures he took. He obliged. The problem, I unknowingly gave him my father's email address, and my dad was not prepared for, nor would he ever willingly want to see what came th through to his inbox. He opened his email, clicked a button, and out popped a picture from a bird's-eye view of my near-lifeless body lying atop uh, a circling sea lion. The picture was grotesque, morbid, and yet, at the very same time, beautiful. My father was an emotional wreck, and he nearly fell out of his chair. When he composed himself, he showed me the picture, and together we agreed that no one should see it. With the click of a button, it was gone. To those who read this, I say, believe it or don't. That's completely up to you. I know the truth. And in this case, and this is all that matters. Huh, that's beautiful. And that's from the, the, the eyes of the person who lived it. Now, he didn't know what it was that bumped him up. He just knew that some, some animal uh, was interacting with him in a very positive way. And that really does denote intelligence. In this case, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, it's, it would be easy to say, look, all of these are divine intervention. This is just the, this divine spirit compelling animals in the world to react and to intercede on our behalf. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe it is. And, but maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe that's, maybe that's semantics because maybe we're compelled sometimes to step in and do things because of a divine spirit as well. Like when we see someone starving, you know, or, or hungry and by the side of the road, it's easy to ignore, but every once in a while you get that feeling like, no, come on, you can do something. You can help do something to help. And so we do. And are those, are those actions inspired completely by us in a, in, a, in a vacuum, or are these actions inspired by the divinity within us? 
And that's up to you to, to come to terms with and define what that means. But I think it's incredibly profound. Very, very profound. And, and this is from a sea lion. So not the animal that you would suspect would, uh, you know, be extending itself for people. You know, these are, these are animals that are dodging orcas and, and, and uh, sharks uh, just to keep going. And uh, it, it, here it was making sure this person was just fine. I think that's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. The next account is another one of those amazing head scratchers. And it's just a beautiful act, uh, again, of animals coming to rescue someone that is in dire trouble. This one is coming from an article on Ranker.com. And it's from a compiled list of uh, animals that, uh, that ha- came to the rescue of people. But the source apparently is Stephanie Laland, Peaceful Kingdom, Random Acts of Kindness by Animals, which is from Canary Press, 1997. And uh, this is an interesting one. And I'm just going to read the synopsis of it because it kind of says it all. Even though we don't have all of the details in these short references, it's still a beautiful story. And this says, Real Gwinden, and uh, Real is spelled R-H-E-A-L, and the last name G-U-I-N-D-O-N of Ontario, Canada, was on a camping trip with his parents in, uh, when they decided to go t- to the boats to go fishing. Rial stayed on shore but was horrified when he witnessed the boat tip over and his parents struggle in the water and drown. He walked towards the nearest town to get help, but when the sun set, he realized he would have to spend the night on the cold, damp ground. As he lay there crying... He felt a warm, furry body press up against him, which he thought was probably a dog. Delirious from his ordeal, he fell asleep. In the morning, he awoke to find three wild beavers huddled against him and across his body. They had saved him from freezing to death overnight when the temperatures dipped below zero. And that's three beavers just came to the aid of this child and kept him warm again it's just a beautiful example of these animals uh, possibly on their own accord seeing something was terribly wrong and deciding to help now again divine intervention yeah but what is the source of that and and aren't all things divine in uh, their base nature well if if they're alive they should be if you believe in the divine source of all life and if something is living it has some divine source in it then we're all connected to the divine in some way, but maybe some more than others, but they're still, <laughs> they're still plugged in somehow. Uh, I think it's a beautiful story. Again, not what you would expect from beavers, but here they did. Three of them came and laid on this child. And I'm not sure if beavers normally just lay outside of their own dens because quite honestly, they're hunted by a lot of animals like wolves and bears and, and stuff. Uh, so, or mountain lions, etc. So they left themselves in a very vulnerable position to help this child. Normally, I think beavers go into their dens, their, whether it's a burrow or, or a beaver den on a, on a pond or lake or whatever. So it's an incredibly beautiful story and uh, just makes me, I don't know, feel this swell of warmth. I, I think this, this is, now more than ever, I think we need these good stories. We need these, we need these happy stories of, of the big picture and uh, that there is amazing wonder in our world. And I love these stories. The next one is another quick one uh, that comes from that same ranker article, 
but it's a pod of dolphins and two whales rescued rescue marooned fishermen. And uh, this one is also very short, but the source of the original report apparently comes from the Philippine Daily Inquirer. And here's what it says. In 2008, in the Philippines, Ronnie Dabal was fishing for tuna in Puerto Princesa Bay when his boat was upset in a squall. And Dabal battled relentless waves for 24 hours perched atop a piece of styrofoam. But he lost his strength to exhaustion as it became dark. Suddenly, a pod of 30 dolphins and two whales flanked his sides and began nudging his raft to shore. They nudged him all the way to the safety of the beach in Barangay. That's amazing. And, and so this is two species working in concert with each other to help this person. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Just fascinating. I was going to say fascinating and phenomenal, and I ended up with phenomenal. <laughs> Our next story comes from themirror.co.uk once again. And this one, let's see, when was this one? When was this? Okay, it was written by themirror.co.uk, so we don't have a specific author to, to give credit to here, but it's apparently from 2011, September 29th, 2011. And a uh, shark attack. British victim was saved by a seal. Uh, let's check it out. What exactly happened here? It says, shark attack victim Michael Cohen was saved by a seal who fended off a great white shark as the beast prepared to make a second and final attack on the stricken Brit. Michael Cohen lost more than seven liters of blood after having his right leg ripped off and left leg bitten through after entering the water, despite flags warning a shark was in the area. Local men Douglas Drysdale, 61, and Hugh Till, 66, risked their life by wading into the water to drag Mr. Cohen to safety. However, as they did, the shark began to swim directly towards the three men. Witnesses on the beach in Cape Town, South Africa, have reported that a seal appeared and swam between the men and the shark before circling the trio until they made it to shore. The men then made their, a makeshift tourniquet using a wetsuit and two belts to stop Mr. Cohen from bleeding to death. Craig Lambanon from the National Sea Rescue Institute said rescuers on the scene and eyewitnesses confirmed that a shark remained close to the scene throughout the medical efforts to save the victim, and it has been confirmed that a seal was swimming close by during the entire episode. Eyewitnesses confirmed that the seal circled the men as they gradually waded ashore with the victim in the presence of a shark that remained close by. The men from Fish Hook, H-O-E-K, had been returning home from work when they spotted the shark in the water near to a lone swimmer. They parked up and ran down the beach shouting for the swimmer to get out of the water, but by the time they reached Mr. Cohen, the shark had already struck. Today, Mr. Drysdale and Mr. Till are hailed as heroes by the Professor Andrew Nickel, who operated on Mr. Cohen. He said, that tourniquet has consisted of a wetsuit applied around the thigh and wrapped around two belts is very, very tightly. It was an amateur tourniquet, but it had almost completely resulted in the cessation of blood loss. I just want to commend the first aid work of those on the beach and the tremendous way in which they responded actually saved the life of this patient. 
Professor Nickel claimed that doctors were doing everything in their power to save Mr. Cohen's left leg. He explained that Mr. Cohen was in critical but stable condition and was kept heavily sedated due to his injuries. Greg Olesi of Cape Town Environmental Management Department said the beach was closed at the time of the attack because great white sharks had been spotted. The first sighting was 9.30 a.m., and Mr. Olefsi said the siren was sounded and the beach was closed. It was reopened at about 9.45 a.m. under a red flag, which goes up after a sighting, indicating there are sharks in the area. The sharks were sighted again at about 10.50 a.m., and the beach was closed again under the white shark flag. When the man had entered the water at Clovely Corner, one spotter ran down the beach and another drove down to Clovely Corner, but the shark attack had already taken place. When they saw him, they did try to sound the siren, but the electricity outage had made this impossible. It's, it's an amazing story. It's uh, incredible, of course. Uh, it, the, the, again, the bizarreness of it is the, the seal circling was almost a sub, a, a footnote of the story. Like, yeah, and then there's a seal circling. Like, uh, if that seal hadn't been there, that shark would have probably finished its work because it would have either latched onto this man one more time and, and just ended his life or, uh, grabbed one of the other men and, and worsened the whole situation. Cause now you got two victims or more, who knows? Um, but the seal actually made that impossible. Uh, I find that incredible because, of course, a seal's instinct is to not go anywhere near a shark, to get the hell away because sharks feed on seals. You know, I mean, that's, that's just like, that's like Shark 101, right? Go watch Shark Week. What do they eat? A lot of times seals. And here's a seal putting itself in harm's way to protect these people trying to save this man. And, uh, of course the men did a great job and, and yeah, probably continued to save this man's life by their actions afterwards, but it's not a footnote. The, the seal is not the footnote of the story. That's, that's the amazing part. Um, the, you know, people put themselves in harm way, harm's way all the time for other people. And that is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it's not unusual. That's very common in a lot of cases, but in this case, uh, it was a seal, that interceded and protected them as they made that rescue of that gentleman who was bitten. Wow. In one bite, he lost one leg and was severely injured on the other one, like bitten all the way through. And they were trying to, trying to save that leg. It's amazing. So it wasn't like a, you know, a little guppy here. This is a pretty good sized shark, obviously that was able to do a tremendous amount of damage with one bite. Um, just incredible. So it was a very sizable and I'm sure the seal would have been no problem had it attacked it. But for some reason, the shark didn't attack the seal, which is, uh, that's incredible as well, I guess, as long as we're really examining this. So you have two, two incredibly profound events happening and, uh, and it's, it's really, really amazing. I just find these so fascinating. Out of desperation, he tried to follow the sound as best as he could. He said the owl hooted about every 10 minutes. It was my only hope. Uh, This is a situation that it may not have been actually an animal incarnated at all. In other words, was it, could it have been more of a spiritual presence than a physical one? 
And I'll leave the judgments up to you uh, to take away from it what you will. But one that comes from the IdahoStateJournal.com, and it's from an article called Man Says Owl Led Him Through Blizzard to Campsite. And this is a pretty interesting one, and well, I guess we'll discuss it on the other side, but it does raise some questions uh, and does raise some uh uh, I guess some possibilities of, of the phenomena that may be uh, going on here. But let's take a look at this article and then we'll discuss it. The article is by Duncan Adams from the Montana Standard. And uh, it's a really pretty new one, but a very interesting article all the same. So let's dive into it. It says, Butte, Montana. Mike Stevenson dropped to his knees in the dark. He searched beneath the deepening drifting snow for uh, the trough of his snowshoe tracks marking his passage from camp earlier that day. He detected nary a trace. The storm blocked every glint of starlight. The night was blacker than a raven's eye. Stevenson had moved cautiously in the direction he believed would take him back to his winter camp. He held his arms straight out in front of him to avoid being struck in the face or eyes by tree limbs. He felt a penetrating chill. Growing fatigue began to signal hypothermia's seductive pull. Fear started to rise. He was lost. For the second winter in a row, Stevenson had stayed behind alone in the Bob Marshall wilderness after fellow members of his outfitter's crew had readied mules and horses and set out for home before the big snows started and stranded them in the backcountry. Stevenson, a Montana native and son of a Forest Service ranger, was 20 years old that December. From his base camp, he traveled to set traps, for pine marten, beaver, and other fur-bearing animals. He established three spike camps uh, about a snowshoe's day apart to provide refuge when checking traps. The wilderness solitude suited him. I love being there. I wasn't afraid of the silence. That was what I was looking for, said Stevenson, now 64, in varying time between Missoula and Kalispell. After graduating in 1975 from Hellgate High School, Stevenson felt no attraction to higher education. I always had a passion to get out in the woods, he said. I wanted to get out into the wildest country that I could. And so he did. Earlier that fall, while other outfitter clients hunted elk, bear, and deer in the bob, Stevenson and other packers had made camp in the Big Salmon Creek drainage about 20 miles from the trailhead. The pay was low and the work demanding, but Stevenson was precisely where he wanted to be, doing exactly what he wanted to do. The fall camp included a wall tent set up to shelter hay and grain for the horses and mules. The hay tent's ridgepole was attached to a tall snag. The hay and grain attracted mice. This owl showed up at camp, Stevenson told the Montana Standard. The owl decided to sit up right out of our camp because the mice hunting was good. The owl would sit up there at the top of the snag and watch for a mouse. The owl was also pretty vocal. It would hoot all night. At the time, Stevenson could not identify the owl's species, and he later determined it was a barred owl by identifying his hoot. When the packers, guides, and stock departed from November, so did the feed and the owl. The outfitter agreed to leave behind for Stevenson's use the wall tent that had stored the feed. The day the snowstorm hit, Stevenson had snowshoed three or four miles down to Big Salmon Lake to check out some beaver traps. He discovered that he'd trapped two beaver, one large and one smaller. 
One beaver had wrapped the trap wire around a submerged log, and Stevenson realized the dead animal's retrieval would require a wintry skinny dip. I built a big bonfire before I went in, he said. It was no big deal just to build a fire and jump in the lake. <laughs> Man, he's made of better metal than me. Stevenson decided to keep the beaver's carcasses as well as the pelt to use the animal's meat to bait the other traps. He put the smaller beaver in his pack and dragged the larger animal behind him with a rope. It was a lot of weight going back, he said, but it got late in the day and I was headed back to camp. The storm had dropped over the foot of fresh snow. About a half mile to a quarter mile from camp, it just got too dark to see. The snow started blowing. I still wasn't worried. I knew it was, I was close to camp. I dug down in my pack for my flashlight, but it still wasn't working. It was only my second winter pack back there, and I was still a rookie. I didn't have an extra bulb with me. I kept going and going, and I could not find that camp. I got completely mixed up, completely lost. And it was so discouraging because I knew the camp was so close. I was getting so cold, I thought, okay, I'll just build a fire. Stevenson decided the fire could take him into the dawn and when the morning light would reveal his way back to camp. From his backpack, he removed the damp carcass of the smaller beaver. He reached down for the fire-starting materials he'd used earlier that day to build a bonfire. But they were wet, soaked by the lake water coming off of the beaver carcass. I wandered around a little more, I knew I had to keep moving to keep my body temperature up. I found a little sapling. I thought, I'm just going to go around and around this trunk as long as I can, but I wasn't moving fast enough to keep my body temperature up. I sat down in the snow and almost went to sleep. But I'd get back up and go around the tree some more, and I thought I was, I was going to die. I was getting scared. I was shaking, and I wanted to go to sleep. I wasn't religious and don't know how to pray, but figured this might be a good time to give it a try. I prayed, God, please, if you're real, please help me. Just before I was going to sleep, I heard a hoot owl. It sounded like the same owl that had been hanging around our hunting camp. I had not heard or seen it for weeks. Stevenson thought there might be some small chance the owl was hooting from the site of the former hunting camp now his winter camp. Out of desperation, he tried to follow the sound as best as he could. He said the owl hooted about every ten minutes. It was my only hope, and I knew it was a big risk because my strength was almost gone, but I was out of options. He continued to snowshoe with his arms outstretched in the dark. I would stumble and fall because I was weak. Stevenson sensed that the owl was perched above him, and then it quit hooting altogether. When it did start up again, it was from a completely different direction. Stevenson's heart sank. Maybe the owl was simply flying around in the woods hunting. Barred owls, like many owls, are active at night. He faced another decision. Should he continue following the sound of the hooting owl, even though it had changed course? Again, he decided to risk it, even though doing so seemed more rooted in desperation than in reason. Stevenson plodded through the trees, his arms outstretched, following the intermittent hoots. I don't know how long it took. All of a sudden, my hands 
hit the wood pile next to my tent. I could hardly believe it. I got a fire going, though. I'm going to make it, I thought. The next day, Stevenson decided to retrace his steps to discover how he'd gotten lost. He discovered that the owl's abrupt change of direction had saved him from plunging in the dark down a dangerous drop near Big Salmon Creek. The owl took me around it, Stevenson said. Today, more than 40 years later, awe and wonder resonate in Stevenson's voice when he describes the events of that night. At that time of my life, when it happened, I knew something had happened that I just couldn't explain. Something mysterious. Years passed. Stevenson has family ties to the Blackfeet Nation. They include cousins who live in Browning. In recent years, he has been invited to Blackfeet ceremonies. A few years back, I was transferred the right to keep a Blackfeet pipe. Through the pipe, through ceremony, and talking with elders, I've learned a little about the unseen in the natural world around us. I've learned the Creator will sometimes send help in unusual ways. That night, it came in the form of a medicine owl. So, I guess take it or leave it, whatever you think uh, is going on here, but uh, either one of two things, or maybe both, are happening in this situation, in in my estimation. Um, Either there are animals that have... I don't know. It sounds bizarre, but have they have they become much more socially aware of what's going on, not only in their own species, but in, in the environments around them and are interacting on a much higher level to to some end? Or are these just instant, not just, I mean, that's a terrible way to say it. Are these instant instances proof of divine interventions um are they are they simply um mediums that can be activated by a divine intelligence and and i don't believe that either so i think it's it's maybe maybe a little of both is is my my guess in in examining these stories and and in pondering the gravity of what these actions mean but it seems to suggest that you know there are animals that may be more exceptions to the rule that maybe there are there are these prodigies of their species that are more developed than the normal and uh perhaps are are just that much more aware uh in than than their counterparts and perhaps also it's the divine inspiration there's a divine intelligence causing these actions causing these animals to enter to intercede and to protect people and to save people. And again, I don't think that that's much different than what happens to us when we feel compelled to help. That is that a divine intelligence that we're a part of. And, and, and I believe that it probably is. So, but again, it's up to you to, you know, I guess receive these stories how you will. I just think it's incredibly amazing. And it's another example of, there being layers and layers and layers of things going on in this world that for the most part, we tend to be pretty wildly unaware of them. And these are incredible examples that to me, they open my eyes and they make me look at the world and, and in a, in a different perspective because it just feels like it's a reminder of, of all the good out there. And not only in a universal sense, but just in the in our own neighborhoods, in our own uh, natural environments, that there are these you know other parts of our world that maybe are there to help too. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's 
it's a conundrum of sorts, folks, but it's a good conundrum to have that there are people that have been saved by animals. And, and uh, I think, if anything, it reminds us that we're all a big family. And uh, I, I think that that's beautiful. So all the same, I think all of these stories have been absolutely incredible. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the journey with me. guys thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show i hope you guys enjoyed it please feel free to follow us on facebook facebook.com slash paranormal portal radio as well as finding us on twitter we're on twitter at paranormal portal p-o-r-t-l and uh, we'd love to have you stop by our youtube page and subscribe and check out our shows there we got hundreds of shows journeys into the paranormal portal so hope you'll check it out check it out guys we're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal so hope to see you guys soon uh we'll be back of course for more podcasts in the coming days so we love you all be good be kind be nice take care of each other help each other out find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can 